looking at the life of Joseph, who goes essentially from a little boy and his family to prison pits, to uh, accused of crimes he didn't do, to becoming prime minister in the greatest nation of the world at that time, straight out of prison. There we go. We continue our series this morning. It is good to see you. I greet you as the way uh, Terry Virgo greets the church. He said, good morning, beloved. There we go. Say to someone, good morning, beloved. It is good to be together. I, I think it's um, a beautiful greeting. And um, just even as I saw that beautiful jacket at the end there that Jerry wore at the end, that's Bunty's jacket. And someone even came to me and said, where's Bunty? Has he been raptured? Where, 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 what's... No, Bunty's fine. And um, Bunty's our worship pastor. He oversees the worship at all our congregations, but is based here. And he's, he's also, just so you're aware, Bunty isn't full-time employed by the church. He just happens to be a master of engineering and an MBA graduate as well, who leads a, a team of solar dudes. I don't, I don't know what Bunty does, actually. But it's definitely to do with engineering, business, and solar. And in that... He is traveling for the month of November, and as they are on a big project, traveling into Africa, traveling into Dubai, so pray for him. And he'll be back soon and back involved in the worship and overseeing. But just so you're aware, as God does, God adds some incredible gifts to the life of church, and Bunty and Pelesa have been an incredible blessing to the life of this church. So pray for them, support them at this time. But we are jumping into this series as we have been for the last two weeks, and we'll be doing it for six weeks this side of Christmas, and then again six weeks on the other side of Christmas, because... Sometimes we can jump into a story, a book, and really not get a little bit deeper. So I, I implore you as a pastor, and hopefully your pastor, if they're part of the life of this church. And this sounds like a crazy thing. Maybe like you think I'm going to ask you for money. I'm not. Please read the Bible. Is a pastor allowed to ask for that? Please read the Bible. And, and, and there is a, a sickness in the church, and it's Everyone would think a million things with that is, but I'm telling you, it's, a, it's a, back of, a lack of Bible literacy. It's a lack of the ability for the church to go to the Word themselves. And my job is to, I'm a petrol attendant on a Sunday. Who can to top up, to inspire, to call, to ignite, to all those things. But ultimately, it's your job to feed yourself with the Word of God. So be reading the Bible. It's awesome. There's no book of Joseph, but you'll find it in the book of Genesis as we jump to the series. And there are three big ideas for our series called The Promotable Life. Now, you say, maybe, Mark, why don't you just call it Joseph? No, because I'm emphasizing something in Joseph's life which cannot be denied, is the unshakable hand of God for promotion in this man's story. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. Promotion, although it overlaps, blessing is not the same thing. We're all blessed. Hashtag blessed. The world loves that. Hashtag blessed. I have the blessing, as the Bible says, every spiritual blessing has been poured out because I'm a son of the living God. And, and that's received, and it's awesome, but it doesn't ensure that I walk into everything that God has planned for my life that will bring Him glory. When I preach about promotion, I'm not talking about, hey, go and live the biggest life you can. Actually, go and live the biggest life you can, but make sure you're doing it for His glory yeah. and not for yours. Yeah. As God challenges us in this amazing character of Joseph, we see the nuanced difference between actually just walking blessing and stepping into the more, and we'll see it through His decisions, His processes. Secondly, that promotion ultimately, as Psalm 75 tells us, comes from God. God is the judge. He's the promoter of our lives. And if we would trust him, you know what you do? You end up taking the pressure off your boss. You end up taking the pressure off your company. You end up taking the pressure off your board of directors or whatever it is that you think is limiting your promotion. And you end up placing your trust in God. 
And we are called to orientate ourselves in that way in the season. And lastly, that God's got it. That the reality that we believe in a sovereign God, a sovereign God meaning a God who when it speaks, it happens. He doesn't have to justify it to anyone. He can do it. When he says, let there be light, he doesn't have to go to some council and get some tickle. No, he's God. He is sovereign. But he, he facilitates its sovereignty, and his providence is his sovereign hand at work in your life and my life, orchestrating the movement of our lives and everything around so that he would get his glory. He's jealous for his glory. don't know if you noticed that. And so this is not a series of you can do it and be bigger and be better. No, it is all of those things for his glory. Be everything that God's called you to be. Rise, grow, step out. But we navigate that through the life of Joseph. So there's this amazing TV show on South Africa. It's like, it's epic TV in South Africa. I've never actually watched it, but I'm intrigued. It's called Boer Sukafro. Okay, now I'm from Durban. I don't watch Boer Sukafro, but my mom does. So in my head, when I've played out the idea of this show, there's, there's Yanni, and he's got his Hilux, and, 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 and some other has got a Ford, which is a problem. And then there are these ladies looking for a boor to marry. And it's, a, it's this uh, a, a reality TV show about finding a boor to marry. I mean, honestly, there's a million creative ideas that go through my head. When I, I think it's a great concept. I've never watched it, and I'm sure it's awesome. But my mom does, so that's great. So today we're speaking about Joseph and Potiphar's wife. So in the light of Boor I thought I'm going to get creative with the title. Today, my sermon is called Fro Sukha Joe. And if you don't speak Afrikaans, basically what it means is woman's looking for a Joe or Joseph. And uh, so it's, it's, it's because this story is, is it's actually the sauciest and spiciest part of. This would be, if this was the series on TV, this would be the R18. This would, this would be how they highlight as parts of his wife appears in the story. And we encounter a young Joseph, not barely 17 years old, thrust into slavery, sold by his brothers, not just dealing the reality of being 17 and navigating life and all that a 17 navigates, but actually the rejection reality of being sold by his brothers into slavery and all, his world has gone from being daddy's favorite to working in parts of his house. But what we see about Joseph, he has a way of being everyone's favorite. He was daddy's favorite, he's parts of his favorite, he's also parts of his wife's favorite. So um, that keeps it interesting. And um, I want to preach it today in that light. And actually, if we're going to preach this, we're going to have a bit of fun in this part. Because it can be one of those the church gets awkward about, or we're going to speak the reality of this situation. The first point of this, taken but not shaken. It goes like this in chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Just notice this. It wasn't his choice. He didn't sign up for this. This wasn't his life plan and work. He'd been taken as a slave, dragged behind a donkey, wearing barely anything through a desert, and if he made the trip, he would be sold as like a cattle auction, except it was Joseph and other young men from other nations around. Said Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered. And as he lived in the house of the Egyptian master, when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. 
the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except, uh, with anything except the food he ate. So here's the reality. Joseph gets sold as an auction, at an auction, basically, and then gets promoted to this position. How? As we navigate the sieve, we have to understand that he was taken. We have to understand that this is a profound theology we have to process because it says the Lord was with him. If you were sold into slavery today, would your description of your situation be the Lord is with me? And yet the Bible says Joseph in slavery, in a foreign nation where people don't speak his language, the Bible says the Lord was with him. And I'm telling you, church, even in these times, we have to understand that our circumstances and our situation don't determine God's faithfulness. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You sang it in worship this morning. He's the same God seated on his throne. And it's the same God that Adam and Eve, out the garden, you know what happened? God went with them. Actually, Israelites into the desert, you know what happened? God went with them. Daniel in the pit, God was with him. God will be with you too. And this is the promise to us today, Matthew 28. It's called the Great Commission. We think, well, that's the charge of the church. Well, it is, but it comes with a promise. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything He has commanded. And here's the promise. And surely I will be with you always to the end of the age. The only thing you've got to get on with is the king's business. Preach, teach. Raise up disciples, baptize them. God says, I'll be with you always. But here's the thing. We struggle to see that in Joseph's circumstance. But here's what happened. It says, so that he prospered and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. There's no ideal place to serve God. You don't get to determine, I'll serve God when I'm in that address or that city with that kind of bank account. There's no, no ideal address. You don't get that. Joseph didn't get that. He just put his head down and decided, I'm going to serve God because of who God is. Not because I, and, we, and there's so much striving in the church as well as in our world of, if I just get into that place, I could be so much more effective for God. If I just got that, if I just, and I'm telling you that striving has to cease because too many Christians kick out of the God story in their life because actually we can't get out of the place. God's got us. He says, I want you to thrive in the place. I've got you. Thrive here. And watch what I can do. And Joseph puts his head down, understanding that the God of heaven is also the God who maximizes the mess in his life, his story. He's not stopped yet. So he carries on. He says, when the master saw that the Lord was with him, let's just stop there for a second. We're doing how to prepare for interviews. There's some amazing people with HR skills. We're going to teach people in the life of our church how to prepare your CV, how to prepare for an interview. If you need a job, I'm encouraging you, be there. But here's how not to do it. Highly favored. This is you announcing at your interview. Anointed, filled with your power. And we just have to tell everyone how loved we are by God, how anointed we are. And actually, my name is Apostle, Prophet, uh, whatever, and 37 titles. No, just relax. My name's Mark, and God is my God. And, and Joseph didn't have to tell Potiphar, do you know who I am? I mean, my, my worst nightmare church once. I think it was Quinton came to me after church and said, you won't see, believe what I've just seen. I said, what's that? No, your son went to coffee, ordered a hot chocolate. The lady said, okay, how are you going to pay? And your son answered, do you know who I am? <laughs> I'm, like, 
I'm just dying. I'm like, uh, uh, I'm dying. And the challenge is, Joseph didn't have to tell Potiphar. Potiphar saw it. Your bosses will see it. The world will see it. The nations will see it. Let them see it. That the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Joseph found favor in his eyes and the attendants. See, Potiphar saw it. See, Joseph might have lost his coat that shouted about his favor, but he didn't lose his character that walked him into more. You might have lost your coat and you might have been taken. In circumstances, situations, corona, and I even met some amazing ladies this week who've had major loss in these last two years of people they love. There's some things that the enemy can't touch. There's some things that life can't take. We get to choose. See, the amazing thing about this is that the Lord blessed the house of the Egyptian because of Joseph. This guy, Potiphar, let's just understand Potiphar. Potiphar means a fat bull. He's not an oil painting. And he's not even a good man. He's basically the chief of secret police of Egypt. He would have had the dirt on everyone. Oh, the finance minister, I got some stuff for you, Pharaoh, on him. And I got some stuff on him. And it's, it's that guy. He can pull all the strings. That's who Potiphar is. He's got all the dirt on everyone. He's not a good man. And yet, the Bible clearly says favor on everything in his house and everything in his field. Why? Because a God man's there. Not in a, a special state of life and not in a position of profile, just because he recognized the grace on Joseph's life and he released it. It's a radical thing because we struggle to understand these concepts. As we navigate the story and we continue, I want to speak about the setup because the big idea of the story is Joseph overcoming the temptation of the seductress parts of his wife. But I want to tell you, sin always has a setup. Always. Now, this is the story you'll hear, and I've heard it in counseling rooms as something goes down in a marriage, and I'm like, what happened, buddy? No, I, was just, I, just, I just fell into bed with her. Well, that doesn't actually happen. So no one walks and trips because there's something next to me in bed, and, and you've made love to someone. That doesn't happen. It's, it may be in the movies it's happened like that, but I'm telling you in real life, no one ever falls. It just doesn't happen. That's how you hurt yourself. And... Um, <laughs> What happens is you're at work and that, that, that glance becomes a, a little longer. What happens is that, 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 that oh, I'm going to sit there in the canteen because that person might sit there and, and you've forgotten for a moment that you're married. What happens is I'm going to leave maybe five minutes later normal because maybe that person's leaving five minutes later. Maybe you heard that person's going on a work trip to Johannesburg and, and you can actually move your trip to that day just in case maybe because you all stay at the same hotel and now that's the on-ramp. See, it's designed like an on-ramp on the highway to speed up. Speed up. I just got to educate Captonians quickly. When you're going onto a highway, that thing, it actually means you've got to go a little bit faster because where you're going is from 60. You want to get to about 100 so that you can, just trying to help. I'm trying to help the kingdom of God and all keep happy. But, but, but an on-ramp onto a highway actually is there to speed up. It's not designed for anything outside of marriage. Anything. So the broad term sexual immorality in the Bible is for any sexual activity outside of marriage, anything. Oh, but Mark, surely you're talking about that bad one that the church doesn't like. Stop it. That's a lie. Anything. And we want to minimize these things and make them smaller, but I'm telling you, there's a challenge. It continues. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. 
And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. The burden of beauty. I mean, it's, it's Graham Liebenberg's blue eyes with that tie-dye shirt this morning. It's a, it just pulls me in. It just, it, it, it's, it's the burden of some people have, but some people have got the burden of wealth. Some people have got the burden of intelligence. Some people have just got humor. I don't know what it is, but the enemy will use whatever the good gifts God gives in our life for his purposes if we allow him. And Joseph wasn't flaunting. He just was good looking, well built, and handsome. That's what the Bible says. I didn't make it up. I wish I was taller. I spent my whole life praying to be six foot. I've still got time. We're trusting. <laughs> Someone actually from the first service already sent me a suggestion in America. There's some doctor who works. I'm like, I'm not that desperate, my brother. Um, verse 8, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though he spoke to Joseph, she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. Now, let's understand this as we, we understand. Some of us, and I love the guy who came to our men's camp a few years ago. He said, some of you guys stand so self-righteous that you've never had an affair, but you're just too ugly. No one's ever asked you. <laughs> I thought it was a great encouragement. And, um, <laughs> but it's the same. We get so, so I've never cheated the tax man. Well, you've never had 100 million rand to decide how much tax you're going to pay either. I haven't. You, 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 maybe they're just some scenarios. I, I've, you've also maybe never been in the middle of a European city where no one knows you, cares your story, and who would know? So why did Joseph refuse? Well, let's tell you why he didn't. Because the Bible tells us why he did. So let's tell you why he didn't. Number one, he wasn't scared of getting caught. That wasn't his big idea, his big concern. Why? In those days, sexual immorality was rife amongst the Egyptians. They are famous for it. Famous. For a master to sleep with a slave was nothing. It was normal of the day and the culture. Absolutely normal. So that actually isn't the big issue. Plus, she had promised, we'll keep it quiet. So why? So what else was the, not the issue? Well, this is it. Parts of his wife wasn't unattractive. Oh, Mark, what are we talking? No, she was beautiful. Potiphar, a fat bull, but he had influence. And in those days, your money, your wealth, your status was what people married into. And, and his wealth would have attracted a lady who was beautiful in looks and all those things. And he would have gone after that. And, and so it wasn't a case of this young 17-year-old wouldn't have been intrigued. He wouldn't want to wonder. He had never been with anyone. Surely there's some kind of rites of passage. Remember, the Bible clearly tells us. You know, she would have walked around, Joseph, hey, Joseph, who's going to know? Hey, Joseph, my husband doesn't really even love me. He's got a whole bunch of other ladies he sleeps with in life. It's normal here, Joseph. Who would know, Joseph. Hey, Joseph, you like my new outfit? Hey, Joseph, my husband's not here for the next two days. Could you help me? See, I love the fact that the Bible's so clear. He didn't just deny her. He kept his distance from her. He put a strategy in place. It says, my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. But the real reason? How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? 
Not Potiphar, not her, not even himself. Just sin against God. So let's understand because we're talking about sexual sin and I'm telling you there's a concept that has been thrown out of the church like yesterday's news and it's the concept that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Can we say that? It's in the Bible. The fear of the Lord. Now, I don't approach God on my hands and knees because Jesus has paid everything and his blood has washed me and the Bible says approach his throne of grace with confidence, but he's still God. And there's still an understanding of God that I'm in communion with God who my wisdom in my life starts and the starting place of wisdom in my life is actually, I still fear the Lord. And this young man starts and he remembers that his, there's no more powerful force in overcoming temptation than the fear of the Lord. He starts to make his plans and he says, actually, it's not about not offending you and it's not about it's about God. And uh, we've all got our stories and we've got our wins and our failures, but I was 17 years old and I was at school. I got a phone call to play first division club cricket. And uh, it was an absolute incredible opportunity. And so 17-year-old me goes and we played one round and we played another round and we ended up winning the league and there was this big celebration dinner. Three of the guys from the Natal Dolphins were playing. I thought this was, I'd made it in life. And then there was a, a dinner to celebrate with wives and girlfriends, and I had neither of those, so I just went on my own. And, um, and we all celebrated, and there were awards. I thought, this was awesome. About 10, half past 10, all the wives and the girlfriends went home, and then I realized the guys were having a drink together. So jump in a car with the one guy. Next minute, I'm in Point Road in Durban, outside a notorious strip club. And, and, and you know what? You know what I'm not saying inside? I don't want to go inside. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, I want to go inside. I'm saying I'm a 17-year-old male with hormones, desires, intrigue. Um, I, 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 isn't this the right of passage? So I get there. Now I'm conflicted because I've known God since I was 13 years old. I'd encountered the presence of God. And I just said, hey, guys, give me a minute. I'll see inside. Because these are my heroes. I don't want to offend them. What am I saying if I don't go in? So I stood outside that thing for about a minute. And then I remembered that the God of heaven and the God of eternity was my God. And I started a walk. And I wasn't going, this is awesome. I'm walking home. I'm going, I feel like an idiot. They're never going to talk to me again. They're going to feel judged. But I made a walk, a significant walk at 17 years old that I'm so grateful for. No condemnation to anyone who's made different decisions. I'm just telling you my journey. But Joseph made a walk. He made a decision. He didn't have time to prepare his resistance. He just knew one thing, God. And so his strategy, and simply point number three, run. And maybe it's the word you need to hear today. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. Oh, oh Potiphar's wife has been on a program. Oh, take the day off, darling. Take another. You take a day off. Meanwhile, like, she's never been so nice to me ever. I'm going to take it. And, and, and Joe gets to work. He's trying to keep his distance from her. And everywhere he goes, there's only one person in the room. <laughs> and she's gone for the facial, the makeup. She's got a new outfit. Joe, you like my outfits? So I just can't tie. Do you mind tying? Joe? Can you mind tying? I'm just I'm tying it at the back, Joe. <laughs> Welcome to church, guys. This is... I think sometimes we read the Bible like, nah, it was far more. No, it was that. 
<laughs> she caught him by his cloak. This is not some subtle auntie. And said, come to bed with me. In the Greek, no, come to bed with me. Direct translation. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. He just left it and ran. See, running from sin is running to God. Running from sin isn't cowardice. It's not anything other than courage in the face of challenge, challenge, temptation. Temptation is not sinning. Temptation is promised. It will come. Jesus was tempted and Jesus was sinless. We will face temptation of all kinds in this life. You've got to have a strategy if you know it's coming. He says, he doesn't go, maybe, maybe there's no one around, maybe. And, and you know, the challenge, the enemy knows when those contexts are perfect and there's no one around. Maybe it's when you're tired. And the temptation is, you resist the TV remote, you resist the internet, you resist, you resist, you resist. And you think, oh, but I've been so good. Maybe just a little. Just a little. No, just a little can kill a lot. Bible says this about sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6. Flee. Sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. So the Bible puts sexual immorality in actually a slightly different class because every other sin actually is against God and against his ways and offensive to his character. But sexual immorality, you're actually sinning against yourself, your own body. You are taking from yourself. You're inviting chaos into your own person. It says this in Ephesians 5 as a challenge, as Paul the Apostle challenges, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. The challenge of this, there must not be a hint. Like Paul, do you know the age we live in? You can't drive anywhere. You can't be anywhere. It's Cape Town. There are beautiful people everywhere. The needle has moved so far. And the church, I'm telling you, my own heart at times has become so desensitized to what Bible and God calls us to be sensitive to that we start accepting levels that we shouldn't. And it's time for the church to get back. And as the world keeps pursuing a journey towards chaos in that area, and it is a journey, and I'm telling you, it's not over. If you think the measures and you're horrified by where we're at, it's going to get worse. It's getting worse. So it's time to know who we are and whose we are especially in the area of sexuality. The challenge is we start making statements like, it's not that bad. What would it be for Joseph? It's not that bad if he just, everyone was sleeping with their masters and mistresses. It's not about that. It's about who's the God seated on his throne. Jesus, if you just wonder Jesus' perspective, he's a little strong on it. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustily has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now the challenge is, if we took that literally, the whole church would need to be carried into church. <laughs> Without legs, arms, and eyes. We'd, all of us. Because the Bible says we all fall short. But Jesus takes something that had become so dumbed down and elevates it to a level of eternal importance. He says, cut it off. Cut it out. Stop it. 
He uses hyperbolic language to challenge us in an area where we've dumb, been so dumbed down and desensitized. And I'm tired of sitting with people weeping because, oh, we were walking such a strong line. And we were, we were, we were being together but not, not sleeping together. And, and you can do that for so long in the name of personal evangelism. Stop it. Missionary dating. God doesn't need you to use your body to pull people into the kingdom of God. He gave his for that. I'm telling you, I can't. Maybe say, Mark, you're being very strong. and I, I, I want to fight for you. I love you. I'm set with so many people. Good people. Jesus people. People with calls upon their life to change nations whose lives have been derailed. And lastly, no matter the cost, there's always a cost. Saying yes, there's a cost. Jesus dictates that cost. He's showing us what that is. But saying no, there's a cost. Maybe some people won't like you. Maybe you become the judgmental guy. Maybe you don't get invited to play again. There's always a cost. He says this, when his master heard the story, his wife told him because she made up a story about Joseph trying to take advantage of her, a false story. This is how your slave treated me. I love the way she puts it on old fat bull, Potiphar. This is how your servant, you brought him in the house. Your fault. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So he bears this false accusation. Why do we expect a medal every time we do something for Jesus? I don't need a medal. I just need Jesus. I just need his promises. I don't need a medal and neither do you. Actually, most of the time you're not going to get that. You're going to get the opposite. And I don't know what God, version of the gospel you got taught. But I want to tell you there's always a cost. Every time we challenge no sex before marriage because we might be facing ridicule. And what if he leaves me? What if she leaves me? What would my friends think? Or we call something wrong. How offensive that Joseph would tell her what you're saying is wrong when we live in a world of relativism where there is no right and there's no wrong. There's just me and my truth and your truth and your identity and your pronoun. Rubbish. There's right and there's wrong according to God. Oh, Mark, you're sounding like a fanatic. No, I'm fanatical about Jesus. I love Jesus and what he does in lives and when he restores and he picks up the broken. I've sat in homes of prostitutes weeping out saying, I need Jesus, having to kick pimps out. While a nine-month-old baby cries upstairs because a mother's prostituting herself because of a lifestyle desire. I'm tired of being in those rooms because I'm telling you, his grace is enough. It's enough. Oh, Mark, you got married young. I did. And I'm grateful. Mark, you don't know what it's like to be this age and single. I don't. I don't. But I pray for you. And my Bible says His grace is enough for you. My Bible says He'll sustain you. My Bible says there's a lover who can love more than your body, but he can love your soul. He poured his blood out so you didn't have to. It's time to trust. An amazing thing, he says, but while Joseph was there in prison, he's back in prison, prison clothes on again. The Lord was with him. 
He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. God won't be mocked. God is faithful. Young people in the room, single people in the room, trust God in the area of sexuality. Trust Him. Please, church, if your story is littered with failure in this regard, know that the Bible says there's no condemnation. None. But know that it says actually walk forward differently. Trust God. In a world that's shouting at you, give something away so that you can receive something called affirmation or love. I'm telling you, that's not what the Bible says. And Joseph, this young man, models to us something that we can quite easily go awesome for Joseph. Or we can say, God, would you do it in my life too? Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to take your next step or find out what is happening in the life of the church, head over to our website or follow us on social media. Cheers.